you should try organic. What about becoming vegan? Don't eat any carbs. How about low carb? Paleo, keto, don't eat anything white. Don't forget about the dirty dozen. You eat too little. You eat too much. Don't forget to fast before you work out. I do intermittent fasting. Don't eat after six o'clock. Oh my God, sugar? Every day, I'm inundated with opinions. And you know what they say about opinions. Please, don't be foodish. Join me, Amy Goldsmith, owner of Kinder Nutrition and Wellness and Dietitian for 20 years, as I talk evidence-based nutrition to get the disorder out of eating. I can't wait to serve you. friends, welcome to season three of Don't Be Foodish. This is Amy Goldsmith. I took a break this summer to be with friends and family and am ready to roll. I'm gonna do things a little bit differently with this first podcast of season three as I was asked to be a guest on Run Farther and Faster with Lisa and Julie after they had an amazing podcast with Dr. Stacy Sims, author of Roar. So take a moment, get yourself situated and comfortable, and take a listen. I can't wait to get this season started. Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How's it going? It's going pretty well. How are you feeling? You look and you sound much better than the last time we, we, we spoke. So how are you feeling? Yay. I'm definitely on an upswing. I still can't taste or smell, womp womp. But um, the good news is, is I'm not coughing nearly as much. And I definitely feel like I have some energy levels back. I feel like um, the same as I did last time. And I think a lot of people go through this when they have COVID. You um, have waves where you feel really good and then you do something for a few hours and then you're exhausted. And so I'm really trying to pace myself and monitor my energy levels that I'm not pushing myself too much. And that's hard for me because I'm definitely a high energy person and it's hard for me to pay attention to that, but I'm really trying to honor my body. And um, I'm on day nine now, tomorrow's day 10. And uh, I wouldn't run even if, I felt like it at this point, but I definitely don't feel like it yet. So I'm going to wait at least another week from tomorrow and see how I feel. And if I feel no symptoms aside from the taste and smell, because that's something that takes a while to come back. But I mean, if I'm not coughing and I don't feel that feeling of um, unusual fatigue, I'm going to try a walk run a week from tomorrow and see how I feel. And in the meantime, over the weekend, um, during my recovery, I've just been um, paying a lot of attention to the foods I'm eating. In other words, just trying to put a lot of healthy things in my body because that's what I can control, staying very hydrated. And uh, I go outside and walk uh, with my dog and uh, monitoring my resting heart rate, which I'm pleased to share is almost down to what it normally is. Whereas last week when I was sick, it was at least uh, 30 beats higher while I was resting. So now it's much closer to where I usually am. So I feel like I have a lot of good news and I'm really happy about this progress because my 50th birthday is in two days and I really did not want to feel crappy on my big birthday. So that's where I am. Thanks for asking. And hopefully, and thank you to all who reached out Uh, yeah, I should play the lottery getting this thing twice, especially because I am 
relatively careful. It doesn't matter. So, uh, well, happy, happy early 50th birthday, um, the new age group too, which is very exciting. I know, um, I know I always look forward to getting into the new age group. Once you get to the top of our age group, it's a little bit hard to be competing against the, the, the beginning of our age group. So happy, happy early birthday. And I think your approach, um, this time, uh, really is reflective of what we're seeing again, anecdotally, just throughout we've had, most of our runners have had COVID in the last few months. So we sort of have a decent sample size and we are seeing pretty consistently those who really took off a good week to 10 days. And we mean like, no, you know, walking. Yes, it's fine. You know, if you feel okay to walk, that's fine. Submaximal heart rate, um, you know, very low aerobic, um, steady work seems to be okay, but people who really have given their bodies time to heal and recover and have come back very gradually seem to be doing the best. And that I think the best example of that is this weekend, we had one of our runners, Sarah, who um, unfortunately, like most of our runners who had COVID about maybe it's three weeks ago now came down with COVID. And, um, you know, she ultimately has a goal race, a marathon later in the season, but we had set up the um, New Haven road race, a half marathon as um, a, a, a tune-up race for her. And she was excited. She and her husband had a trip planned up to New Haven and they were going to go away for the holiday weekend and, and spend it there and then do the race. And um, she, you know, a couple of weeks ago said to me, you think I'm going to be able to do it? And I said, let's see. And she took off, I, I want to say it was 10 days, really totally off to rest and recover and really honor that. And when she came back, um, she's, you know, was, was itching to run, but she knew that it was important to, to come back gradually. I think the first time was a walk and then a run walk and then an easy run. And then just last week was the first week we really could try a little kind of a test of a little bit faster running um, where she seemed to respond well. She seemed to recover well. Her heart rate looked good. And um, I gave her a race plan and said, if you feel good on race day, it's, you know, th this is, here's the A game that we were originally intending to target. And if you know, you've got to listen to your body, if it feels too hard, dial it back, you know, that you're not completely recovered. Um, but she went up there and she executed perfectly, hit a PR, um, did really well. So exactly the potential we thought she had pre-COVID, she was able to achieve. Um, I've yet to talk to her today to see how her recovery is going. So a lot of times, you know, recovery can take longer when you're still um, coming back from COVID. She may you know, feel more sore today or we may, and we, we put a couple of extra recovery days on the schedule. So I've not talked to her yet today, but I think it's just a good um, example that it just getting COVID doesn't mean that your race season is down the drain entirely. It's how you come back from it. It's how much time you have, how your individual body responds because some people's bodies just, just take longer to come back. And that's not anybody's fault. It's just a um, factor of the virus and, and your body's response to it. But it was encouraging to me to see, you know, most of our runners have had COVID in the last month or so. So we haven't seen how it's affected their ultimate race day. Um, we can't say like, yeah, they got to the race and they just, you know, they fell apart because of COVID or because they had COVID. Um, so one of our runners recently asked, how have your runners who had COVID done in the marathon after? And we said, well, we really don't know because this marathon cycle, the runners who've had COVID just a month or, you know, two months ago, so they haven't reached their marathon yet. So this was really, I, I think kind of the first um, person we've had, first runner we've had really do a race and really try to um, try to PR, try to hit their A goal at a race following having COVID and she did well. And that to me is encouraging and just a good example of a little bit of patience goes a long way. Absolutely. And I just want to reiterate your point though. If, if one doesn't recover that fast, that's not your fault. Everyone is impacted differently. It's not, exactly. we're not at all saying that we have control over all of this, but what we are saying is it, it's never a bad thing to take extra days and extra recovery 
this is a different kind of virus than the flu. And we've seen over and over that it particularly affects those who are engaged in endurance sport. And we, of course, talked to Dr. Olin about that. So for those who haven't listened yet and are cu more curious about this, our podcast with Dr. Olin um, provided a lot of great information as well. And he, he really helped talk through a lot of um, any reservations we had about resting and recovery were put to bed by Dr. Olin and, and really showed us how important it is to just not run during that time. So and that not running didn't affect her fitness at all. Did not, you know, her fitness, like I said, what we were targeting before she had COVID did not, we did not, we didn't deviate from that. We kind of kept that as the A goal with the, with the instructions of pulling back if she didn't feel great. So she didn't lose any fitness by taking off 10 days. And then that's generally what we've seen that runners can take up really up to take off about even two weeks and not lose a ton of fitness. They may feel like they've lost it that first few runs back, but they really haven't lost that fitness. So I think that's really important and reassuring should be reassuring to runners that it's okay to take off that week or 10 days and you're not going to lose that fitness. Absolutely. And I always like to think about professional runners like Des Linden, who is notorious for taking an entire month off. And then she always tweets because she's so funny. She'll tweet like the first run back after taking a month off. And when she takes it off, she's not cross training. She's not doing anything. And she'll be like, oh, that was so painful because she's honest about it. But she gets, I mean, yes, yeah, she's an elite athlete, but I think that can translate to anyone. We have a lot of muscle memory, a lot of endurance and uh, taking time off, even if it's longer than what your body's used to, rarely does that impact your overall fitness, if ever, once you start getting back into your training. And speaking of the New Haven half, I also want to give a shout out to our runner, Lori Brower. She really has had a series of great races over the past few weeks. And uh, Lori um, is is a master's runner and she's been running for a number of years and she's run this race many times and she actually had a course PR. Uh, and won her age group, right? Won her age group and ran the same race last year when it was less humid and ran almost 10 minutes faster yesterday, which is in more human conditions, which is just incredible. So we love seeing those fun results and just wanted to give a shout out to her too. And yeah. in addition, her best running friend, Susan Spencer, similar exactly age, another example, another yep. season runner. She's been crushing her races too. And she ran her race this weekend as, and this is kind of another point to just training and getting ready for fall marathons that um, some people have target half marathons where we're trying to get a, a benchmark for where they're fit is and they're really racing it out but some we put a half marathon or a 10 miler in um to to as kind of a tune-up race where they're practicing pacing strategy nutrition um hydration and it's sort of a, a dry run for race day and so uh for susan this this race was actually a more of a, a, a practice run where we practiced marathon pace um tempo it was more of a tempo run we're practicing nutrition making sure that that all came together so she wasn't really going for a pr or win or anything but she won her age group and she was sixth woman overall, which, um, you know, for somebody who is um, decades older than most of the women in the top 10, it was really um, cool to see that we have a, you know, a grandmaster's runner running right in with the 20 and 30 year olds. So that was, um, you know, th these uh, runners that we work with, these master's runners are really, um, you know, giving us, I know personally, uh, a lot of inspiration and proving that age is, is just a number and um, getting older doesn't mean that you have to, um, it may mean you're getting slower because we all do kind of naturally get slower as we age, but it doesn't mean that you um, can't be competitive and can't reach new goals. Absolutely. And, and that of course was a theme of our conversation a couple of weeks ago with Stacey Sims. And it was such a good conversation. I mean, we're still 
Reeling from that, we learned so much from Dr. Sims, and we wanted to bring on uh, one of the registered dietitians we regularly work with, Amy Goldsmith, who was one of the first guests on the Run Farther and Faster podcast, and she's the owner and founder of Kindred Nutrition, and uh, she meets with clients personally, whether over virtually or in person. And she's also the host of uh, a podcast, which we'll link in the show notes. And she is just such a force because Amy never holds back. She gives her opinions, which are evidence-based, but she also has opinions based on her 25 years of practice. And she treats a lot of athletes, a lot of runners, a lot of master's runners, and a lot of women who are either peri-menopausal or post-menopausal, and therefore has a lot of information. And we wanted to bring her on today to just talk about our episode, our conversation with Dr. Sims and sort of sift through the information that Dr. Sims provided and provide some practical application in terms of nutrition and what she's seen as a practitioner and what has worked and not worked for her clients. Yep. We always uh, love talking to Amy and we often talk to her offline um, outside of the podcast, obviously when, uh, you know, we collaborate on runners, when runners come to us with questions, she's our go-to to help us um, kind of navigate uh, all those uh, nutrition questions. Um, so like you said, we've worked with her for many, many years and she was one of the first guests on the podcast. So uh, it was really helpful to have her come on today to help us sort through uh, some of the questions that we had in our mind. And a lot of our runners were asking us, um, you know, frankly, after after our podcast from a couple of weeks ago with Dr. Sims. And Amy's podcast, by the way, is Don't Be Foodish. Sorry about that. So we'll link it in the show notes. I drew, I drew a blank for a second. Um, yeah. So Amy's information was super valuable and not contradictory to what Stacy provided, Dr. Sims provided at all, but more, how do we apply this information practically? And what do we do um, after learning the science that Stacy presented? How do we apply that in our own running? And, and she also specifically addressed some of the questions we had with respect to gels, salt and carbohydrates. So it was a really great episode. And we also talked a little bit about body image, body acceptance. It was just a really great conversation. And I really enjoyed it. I know you did too, Lisa. Yep. So we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up today, um, something else that's heavy on our minds. And and that is the uh, murder of Eliza Fletcher. It was just, uh, announced today is Tuesday. And, um, her body was identified, and we know that uh, Eliza's death is on everyone's minds who runs. It's devastating. We don't really have words, but we just wanted to talk about it for a moment and honor her. We know she's a Boston qualifier runner who, like so many of us, runs early, early in the morning because that's when she had time to run. She's a working mom, and uh, she was running in a place that she perceived as safe on the Memphis campus where all the cross country runners run. And this wasn't her fault. There's no uh, information we can provide on this podcast right now to say how she could have been safer. This was a monster with an opportunity that he took advantage of. And uh, we just wanted to talk about it for a moment and just share our condolences with anyone who knew Eliza and, uh, say, may her memory be a blessing. It just is just so devastating because it could be any one of us. And we just, it's hard to fathom that there's that much evil in our world. Yeah. I think you uh, hit it 
hit it right on the head that there was nothing she could have done differently. Um, you know, we always give safety tips on here and that there's nothing here that, um, you know, we, we would have done differently. Like you said, it could have been us as, as runners. You know, we wear reflective gear. We bring our phones with us. We run in well-lit areas that, you know, where, um, you know, we, we hope that we're safe. We stay alert. Um, but, you know, from, from the reports that we've seen, you know, a car pulls up to you and forcibly, you know, puts you into the passenger side, there's really, you know, not much that can be done um, in those those few moments. And it's just, um, it, it's, it really struck us as, you know, female runners, as runners in general, because it can happen to any runner, but um, of, of how, um, how unfair it is that that's something that we as runners have to have to think about. And um, like you said, it hit close to home and um, we are, it's heavy on our minds and, um, uh, you know, some Thing that uh, I think will affect us, and I know it has affected my thoughts heading out for runs. Even though I run generally in you know the, during light, when daylight during daylight, but it doesn't mean that just because she was running before the the sun rose doesn't mean that that couldn't have happened in in broad daylight. So I know I kind of think about it, and I think we're all thinking about what would we do and how do we make ourselves safer. And it's just unfortunate that we that we have to think that way. On that note, Lisa, I hope that you have a great week and. Um... Next time we talk, I'll, I'll be over the, <laughs> you'll be over, you'll be in the new age group. You'll be in, in some, in some races, I think that's actually grandmasters. <laughs> Sometimes it's 60, but yeah. I think, I think in Annapolis 10 miler, it was just, it was 50 it was grandmasters. So I think that sounds awesome to be grandmasters. I, I have to tell you personally, I'm looking forward to it because at 50, you qualify for senior uh, national senior Olympics. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So you could go to the national senior Olympics next year. I gotta, I gotta say like racing in my forties was just a blast. I felt like I really was able to take advantage of that age group. I, I really found myself a lot having opportunities that I wouldn't have had in my thirties by virtue of being in my forties. So I look at a new age group as an opportunity and look, I'm super grateful to be where I am. And, um, grateful to share another decade with you, Lisa. I remember turning 40 and I know I still remember your 40th birthday party. Oh so my gosh. Um, it's just, uh, it, I don't know where the time goes, but I will say that looking at our runners that we coach that are in their fifties and sixties, mm -hmm. women runners, I'm excited for what's ahead because we've got Same. many decades of running ahead of us and, um, of enjoying each other's company and celebrating these wonderful milestones together. So, happy birthday early, but happy birthday. And, um, I think, I, I think you make 50 look fabulous. Thanks, Lisa. Love you. Have Love a great you. day. You too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Amy Goldsmith. Welcome back to the run farther and faster podcast. You were, I believe our second guest on the podcast. And wow, we've come a long way. I think when we did it, then we only used audio and, um, we never had, we didn't have an editor or anything and, uh, sure our sound could be even better, but I think we've come a long way and we just are so grateful that not only have you returned to the podcast to share your wisdom, but also that you remain a great friend to us and, uh, a wonderful resource to us and to so many of our runners. So for those who don't know you already, could you please introduce yourself? Sure. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited and I do agree. I just love your podcast. Um, you both do such a great job. Um, and it's wonderful to not only be friends, but to collaborate. I feel like, um, not to toot our horns, but I feel like we are in this amazing, um, environment where we get to change people's lives in a time when it's been kind of 
weird. So, you know, thank you for that. It means a lot to me. Um, but for those of you who don't know me, I am a dietitian. I feel like I've been a dietitian forever, um, close to about 25 years. Um, so I'm, you know, 22 years old, um, because I started in the, before the womb, <laughs> um, and I own, um, Kindred Nutrition and Wellness and Kindred Kinetics. So Kindred Kinetics is kind of, uh, I branched that off, um, and branded it. It's my sports performance, um, kind of, um, part of the Kindred Nutrition and Wellness. Um, so yeah. And what are your credentials? So, um, I am a registered dietitian <clears throat> and, um, what that means is I, um, had to do a specific type of schooling with a specific internship, um, that had requirements <clears throat> after that. Um, I had to take a registration, um, exam, um, and I'm also licensed in the state of Maryland. So I have to have 30 continuing educations at, um, credits every two years, or I lose my license, um, and, uh, I think that's it. Yes. <laughs> Do you have any specialties uh, with respect to sports nutrition? So I have not, um, gotten the specialty certifications. It's not because I don't think that they're of value. Um, you know, a lot of the reasons why I don't do things like that is because I put my heart and soul in, um, like face-to-face -face patient time. So I think they're of value. Um, but I also, since I am a little bit older, um, you know, I think sometimes my experience, um, uh, really just kind of is, is not more valued, but the value shows in my experience with the thousands of people I've worked with. So for my practice, I focus specifically on, um, sports, nutrition, eating disorders and family systems. And Amy, you have a background in, in sports and athletics as well and running. So why don't you talk yes. a little bit, a little bit about that, about that. So I am kind of a, a washed up athlete. I, I tell, you know, um, I was very active when I was younger. I, um, am still kind of blessed with speed. You know, I'm, I'm, for those of you who know me, I'm kind of, um, I call myself short and stout, right? Like I, I, <laughs> Um, and I played soccer when I was younger, I did suffer like a pretty serious injury, uh, when I was in my late teens where I tore my quadriceps in, in complete half. Um, so that was like early nineties. And I was told real when I was in the, um, the physician's office, like you probably will never be able to run again. Um, I couldn't even actually walk there. I had to be carried. Um, and so I rehabbed, have an amazing physical therapist who I do think was, um, someone who really did play a role into me getting interested in nutrition. Cause they constantly talked about, you know, the role that that played in my year and a half recovery. <clears throat> and, um, you know, after that I was able to run, I, you know, ran a couple of half marathons. You both have trained me. Um, every single time I ran, I got a PR. So I was like, all right, I'm doing something right. Um, I branched off, I kind of got bored of the half marathon. So I branched off the triathlons. I love that. That works really well with my brain kind of, okay, this is done. Check it off. This is done. Check it off. And I was able to get on the podium a couple of times, which is really exciting. Um, and then I also moved into kind of strength training. Um, I did do CrossFit, um, for a while. I still do CrossFit-ish like things. I just don't um, belong to a box mostly just because the pandemic really changed the structure of my scheduling. Um, so now I sit in my upper forties and I do all the things I run, I swim, I bike and I strength train. And I try to do all this while, you know, aging. 
<laughs> and that's really important to us as coaches. Um, and I think to your clients too, that you understand um, kind of the life of a busy uh, yeah. professional parent athlete who's trying to juggle it all. So we really appreciate that when our runners come to you, they always tell us, well, she gets me, she understands. Um, and we always, you know, whenever we refer our runners out to a, a physician or an expert or a physical therapist or a dietitian, we try to find somebody who gets all of us as, as runners. So, um, so we really appreciate that. And um, we wanted to invite you back today because we're getting a lot of questions lately from our runners. Um, and if anyone listened to uh, the last podcast we did, they'll know we have a lot of questions to two podcasts ago, sorry, two podcasts ago. Um, uh, when Dr. Stacy Sims was on, um, Dr. Stacy Sims came on with some really um, compelling and interesting um, uh, scientific ev evidence and um, information uh, on nutrition and strength for women, particularly postmenopausal women. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the topics we talked about her, with her was nutrition and, mm -hmm. um, her, you know, she, she had some recommendations for, uh, women, uh, and women going through menopause with regards to nutrition and it brought up a lot of questions in our minds as coaches and a lot of our runners minds. So when we have uh, nutrition questions, we know we typically <laughs> turn to our, our <laughs> practitioners and, you know, you're our expert that we've turned to for many years. So we wanted to have you on to kind of talk about um, the, the, the implementation of, of that, those, those scientific theories and, you know, in practical real life, what, what, what does that mean? And how do we as coaches interpret that for our runners? So, um, so we're really glad to have you on today again. As a as a practitioner, and um, kind of you know, let's start off with with that number one question that came up after that podcast, which was you know using gels and um, fuel in, in a marathon, and you know uh, Dr. Sims had said give your gels away to your competitor, <laughs> and um, again that was something we really struggled with as coaches is like that's a you know, kind of fundamental piece of knowledge that we have and just some, a, a rule that we use and something that's worked for us. So, um, you know, what are your thoughts initially just to kick this off on, on gels, choose race nutrition, um, during training and racing? So, you know, first I want to start with saying, you know, I think that, uh, Dr. Stacey Sims research is very compelling. I mean, she's definitely an empowered, strong woman. And, and, you know, I love, I, those are my kind of women, right? Um, and so she is really kind of kicking off a lot of that women specific research. So as we know, you know, research starts with a hypothesis until it's proven wrong. Um, and, you know, it takes lots of years as well. So something that I always laugh at, um, and you guys know my personality is people will sometimes say to me, my like, God, science is always changing. And I kind of want to say like, yeah, duh, right? Because the human species is changing. We are not what we were um, 30 years ago, um, even, you know, um, so we should expect for it to change and we should embrace um, for that change. At the same time, um, there's two different kind of levels of guidance, right? There's like the general guidance where we say a statement, um, you know, based off of research, um, and we can provide that information for people to kind of process and kind of integrate and see how it works. And then there's very specific um, guidance that is specific to your genetics and is specific to your experience and specific to like your activity and those sorts of things. So, you know, when um, I listen to the podcast and I love the information and it's all very valid, the thing that gets a little bit sticky is that, you know, um, we're all individualized, right? 
So, so you both know, um, you know, I put the majority of my work um, into face to face patient visits every single day. And I am one of those weirdos that loves that, right? Because I'm really lucky because, and it's probably the same for you folks, not everybody is the same. So I never get bored of it. I have somebody come in at nine o'clock and, you know, I may think they're coming in for sports nutrition and we may only talk about gut function because I realize that, hey, we need to rule out if there is something more serious going on, right? And, um, or I have an anorexic who's coming in, who's restrictive in nature. And I recognize like, oh my gosh, they have orthostatic hypotension. And from a safety precaution, we need to get a EKG right now to make sure they don't have sinus bradycardia, you know? So I'm constantly, constantly moving. So my whole point about that is, you know, I also come from the nature, if it's not broken, don't fix it. And I know that that just sounds like a very generalized statement, right? And so if you're rolling your eyes at me, I get it. I, you know, I will validate that first feeling, but, you know, something that you said in the beginning here, like why we work with each other is because we all know that balance, right? Like being a, a mother, which, you know, has off, I mean, more power to you. It's hard to be a mother, especially this time of age, right? to work, right? To want to focus on our health, to want to focus on our mental health. And so we have all of these millions of things we're trying to organize. And, you know, if we're utilizing something and it's working, great, right? Are there times when gels are not indicated for people? Absolutely. And you, I've had conversations with both of you, um, you know, when we have that consent sign with the, the runners that we're working together, where, you know, I have somebody who's identified with celiac disease, or I do suspect that they do have a GI dysfunction where we really need to pull that um, gel because of what it has in it, right? Which is negatively affecting the gut. Um, But I also, um, and this is gonna really sound simple and weird, but you both also know, like, I focus a lot on timing of fuel, right? And, I always say there's not a magic bullet. I mean, you guys know me, I'm uh, an entrepreneur. If there was a magic bullet, I would be putting all of my R&D in that. It would make my job so much easier, <laughs> right? Um, so I respect um, I respect the statement and I respect that gels may not always be the best. And at the same time as a practitioner, that's why we don't recommend one blanket product or sell one blanket product because everybody has needs something different. That's great. We really appreciate your clarification um, because like you, we were confused in the sense that we really agreed with so much about what Stacy presented. Uh, her book is terrific. We know you read the book. Mm-hmm. There's so much to think about and change is good just as you mentioned, change is good. It's good to mix things up, particularly as we enter a stage of life with which we are initially unfamiliar. And it's important Mm -hmm. to acknowledge that. So at the same time, your phrase is not, does not initiate an eye roll with either of us (laughs) broke, don't fix it. Because sometimes we tend to, as runners, uh, competitive runners overcomplicate things. And we understand we, we do it ourselves. When you hear an expert say, throw away your gels, the immediate knee-jerk reaction is, okay, but yeah. wait a minute. We've seen as runners and as coaches over and over that when we introduce the idea of eating about every 35 minutes, whether it's a full gel or a half a gel, and it doesn't cause gut malfunction that actually enhances performance, even among our populations that 
war is about, those who are from perimenopause to postmenopause. Right. But at the same time, we have had several runners, many who can't tolerate gels and are really struggling. So for those who are in that segment of the population, what are some alternatives that you specifically would recommend to someone that they're getting enough fuel, but not having gels and buy enough fuel? I would think, so this is kind of a separate question too. Dr. Sims mentioned women only need about 30 grams of fuel per, of carbohydrates per hour. And that's markedly less than what we've been recommending through the guidance of you and other reg registered dietitians. So could you talk about that and then talk about some alternatives to fuel? Right. So, um, so really when it comes to nutrition, I think, and I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to articulate this in uh, the most kind way. So, um, you know, nutrition is a science, right? So, um, there is no one size fits all, which I know I've already said. Um, and because everybody requires some, something different, there's a lot of assessment that kind of goes into the recommendation phase, right? So I am often really, um, advocating for people to kind of watch out for like the general recommendations, because if they don't, if they're just recommending something by looking at you, um, it's really difficult to, to say that that's, you know, appropriate. So when we're looking at like the carbohydrate load that somebody needs, like during a run or pre-run or post-run, there's so many things that we look into, you know, um, what are your overall needs in a day? How do you eat leading up to a race? Um, you know, what is the quality of your run? And when I say quality of your run, meaning, um, you know, are you, what percentage are you working at 80% or higher? Is it, you know, kind of a recovery run, all of those types of things, your exertion, um, they play a role into what your needs are. Right. And so I know, I think, and I, and I don't want to be, um, stating this incorrectly, but I think that, um, Dr. Simpson said something like dietitians, um, generally state like a certain amount of grams an hour. And I would say, you know, that's not necessarily true. Um, I, um, have lots of dietitians that intern with me and because I've been in the field, um, you know, for over 20 years, um, it, it's very rare that blanket, um, like blanket grams would be kind of recommended. So, I think it's safe to say that like, you know, maybe you start at 30 grams, maybe sometimes it is a little bit less than 30 grams. Um, and sometimes it's higher. So I can't really give you an exact number of what that would be, but I would say, um, it would really require an assessment. And I think you both know, know that as well. Cause, um, I know we, like I said, we collaborate often and there's been times where we've um, talked, and I think we just had this conversation last week, like, oh my gosh, their nutrition is spot on during the run. But every other time outside of that, it is extremely hypocaloric with the uh, incorrect distribution of macronutrients. Therefore, the quality of the runs are absolute crap, excuse my French. Um, you know, and that, that although that person came to me for sports nutrition, which is wonderful, we're actually working on everything outside of that particular run. Um, and when we think about other things besides um, gels, I think that's one of the coolest things now. I mean, you know, I think about my food science classes, you know, uh, decades ago, we didn't have all this awesome stuff, right? Like we're in this entrepreneurial time where 
uh, nutraceuticals, although sometimes I think they um, kind of market things incorrectly, we do have more products than we have ever, ever had in our entire lives, right? So um, I think it's worth looking at like the shot blocks, the chews, um, or even the whole foods, right? Like I have some people that they stuff those little applesauces, you know, and, we and they, they squirt that or like the little baby foods or um, they're sometimes you know, um, like prunes, which I know some people would be like prunes. Oh my gosh, I would not do that before a run. But you know, the every, and again, that is another example of why everybody's different, right? Um, so you could do, you know, the little mandarin oranges, like all those sorts of things. So there are products out there. It's all about um, what fuel you need, what macronutrient do you need? You need carbohydrates. Okay. We have this option, this option, and that option. So it doesn't have to be gels. It doesn't have to be blocks. Matter of fact, in um, a half marathon or a marathon or even a triathlon, um, most of my folks that are working with me, we have multiple, all of those things at different times. Like on the bike, it's easier for them to eat a PB&J, you know what I mean? Sandwich. Um, so it's about ease, the transition and all those sorts of things. But Amy, it sounds um, kind of the common theme, whether depending on you know, whether where, where the athlete is getting it from, that they need those carbohydrates during a run, um, whether they're male or female, is there a difference between how males and females process the fuel during a run? We can talk about outside of a run, um, you know, separately, but is there a, a, a difference in the way they're processing and are there different considerations that you have seen as a practitioner that, that come into play? Um, you know, just in terms of, again, it sounds like consistently you're saying we need the carbohydrates. It's how you get those, you know, how your GI system is reacting to it that may vary from person to person, but is it pretty consistent that in a marathon, let's say in a marathon or a half marathon or whatever distance you're going to, you know, tell us that after a certain amount of time, we need that fuel. So, I mean, there's always going to be a difference with men and women always, you know, as far as saying like, do we process things differently? Like, it sounds like Dr. Sims is, is really kind of creating that research and like really kind of forging ahead with that. And I think that's wonderful. And, you know, I'm constantly reading the research. And like I said, I have to do the 30 um, credits of continuing education or else I lose my license, which is not good because it's illegal uh, to practice at that point. Um, but can I like, can I agree with a blanket statement that we process things different? No. Now, what I will say, um, and this is where it gets complicated, is that I have I mean, I've worked with thousands of, of clients and I will tell you that the majority of the time people come to me, especially athletes and, you know, present themselves that they are generally healthy. Right. And then as we work together, we see that there's these side effects that come up, right. Or these, or, or these symptoms, right. So the symptoms that you and I are talking about right now are the GI symptoms. And something that I feel really, really strongly about as a dietitian is we have to stop just trying to reduce the symptoms and we have to start figuring out why is this happening? And the way our healthcare system is set up in the United States, you know, it, it's just, we have all these obstacles in place, right? Like it is very common and I love physicians. I collaborate with all of them, but it's very common to go to a physician and complain about GI distress. And, you know, for labs to not be drawn and, you know, maybe to assume that you have IBS and, and to be told, go on the FODMAP diet, right? Well, that is a very, very um, specific um, nutrition regimen and people do it wrong. They go on the internet, they look at FODMAP, they remove every single thing at once. Well, my goodness, if you remove every single thing at once, how the heck do we know what the trigger was, right? Um, or they may be put on um, 
antibiotics, or they may be told to have upper and lower endoscopy um, and colonoscopy. And maybe that particular diagnostic test triggered more symptoms, right? So um, I think if people are having issues processing things, right, we need to see like, why is that issue, right? Like what is the systemic system that may be, um, you know, broken right now? So um, I think generally women might need less than men just because men have just naturally, those suckers naturally have more lean muscle mass. Um, they're usually taller, um, you know, uh, but from a processing standpoint, that's what I'm excited to see about the research. I'm excited to see more research. I'm excited to see, you know, large sample sizes um, so that I can gather that data and say, okay, so we know this, with men, the GI functions this way. And with women, the GI functions that way. And then now I feel comfortable changing or, um, you know, presenting information. I already do that anyway. So as a practitioner, because I recommend things, we're in constant con communication. If that doesn't work, I know exactly how to tweak to um, get them to a space where they're um, not feeling badly. That's super helpful. Um, getting a little bit specific, but because we're on the topic of carbohydrates, we also talked with Dr. Sims a lot about uh, fueling and like, like you, she recommends rather than carb load, you simply shift the ratios on your plate as you approach race day. However, she recommended specifically that women avoid refined carbs when shifting the ratios. We were wondering in your experience, if you yourself had ever seen sort of a difference in performance when a patient of yours shifted from, for example, eating quinoa and sweet potatoes before a race versus eating white potatoes and more refined carbs before a race. That's a great question. And again, that's definitely something that we work through, like as, as we are kind of like focusing on that nutrition plan. Um, somebody had asked me, you know, people find out that I'm a dietitian. I try not to advertise it when I'm going to a general party. But like people, if they find out that I'm a dietitian, I will tell you the number one question that I get is what do you think about refined carbs? And my response, and again, you guys know my humor is I don't. Um, and, like, and my reason for that is you know, refined carbohydrates get a really bad rap, right? Like, and, and they're because it's because yes, they're, they're more processed, right? And when something goes through pro, uh, a processing, um, you know, they are stripped of some of the vitamins and minerals and they have less fiber, right? So, you know, do I think everybody would benefit from more, from more whole complex carbohydrates? Yes. Because I mean, in general, the American, um, nutrition is low in fiber, right? And we know that fiber is just such a wonderful um, thing to have in your, in your diet. Um, but there are times, believe it or not, when we as dietitians actually recommend refined carbohydrates based off of um, a um, disease um, exacerbation that they, that they may be having. And then furthermore, we take into consideration that sometimes people focus so much on refined carbohydrates, unless you're eating that absolutely by itself, um, does it really matter? Because if you're eating a refined carbohydrate with a little bit of protein or a little bit of fat or with a fruit, um, at the same time, you know, you're, you're changing, you're shifting um, what you're putting in your body at that moment. Anyways, you're providing it with more vitamins and minerals, you're providing it with more fiber. Um, so, you know, 
what we do know is refined carbohydrates increase your blood sugar quicker. Absolutely, without a doubt, we know that, right? Am I worried about that with some of my runners? Yes, I'm worried about that with my diabetics. I'm worried about that with my insulin resistance. I'm worried about that with my um, reactive hypoglycemia patients. Um, I'm worried about that with my folks who only pre-fuel and don't fuel during you know, the exercise. Um, but can I give a blanket statement that refined carbon, that we need to shift from that? Not necessarily. I think that I need to know I need to know everything about the story before I kind of make my conclusion. Um, so I agree with the foundation of what she's saying that refined carbohydrates are better for you and that you may need to shift depending on how you utilize your energy. But can hey, I wait, say that? Let me just clarify. You said you agree with the statement that refined carbohydrates are better for you. Do you mean? I'm sorry. Yeah. That, okay. that, that whole or the complex carbohydrates are better for you. Sorry about that. Um, but can I say that we need to transition to complex carbohydrates at a certain age before every single race because you're going to perform better? Um, I need to see more research on that. Um, and again, I work with lots of folks who have celiac and ulcerative colitis um, who run, and I would absolutely not I would absolutely be staying away from that um, recommendation. Thanks, Amy. Let's um, shift the focus from carbs to protein. And okay. that's another another um, topic that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah. What, you know, is there ever too much protein um, for, for, for women, for postmenopausal women? Um, and, and what's a good way to approach protein. Um, and again, you know, we're, we kind of keep coming back to this whole, everyone's an individual and we have to, right. you know, recognizing that, you know, is there too much protein and how, what, what's your view on protein specifically for women in their forties, fifties and beyond? So I feel like protein is always put on a pedestal, um, because I think, you know, with the foundations of some specific diets in the past, like, uh, Atkins and keto and, um, gosh, even whole 30, all those types of things. Um, everybody loves protein and hates carbohydrates. Right. Um, but with any macronutrient, any macronutrient, any vitamin, right? There's an upper tolerable limit for anything, right? Um, some may not have an established upper tolerable limit because they're still doing research on that. And I respect that. But anytime you eat more of anything than you need, it's too much, right? It's going to be stored, right? Um, your body cannot necessarily use it. Now, I will say it is very, very common that um, with my runners, specifically females, and this is where I can kind of like pinpoint that female versus male, most are not eating enough as a whole, you know what I mean, from a calorie perspective. And I dare to say that that is the primary, right, reason why we're not performing, right? Um, I will also say, and I'm, I'm in that, that wonderful, glorious category, <laughs> I'm being facetious of the perimenopausal, you know, woman trying to figure this, this raw deal out, I guess I'll say, right. And I will say that um, women my age do naturally, most of the people that I see in my office are not eating enough protein, right. But that's because they're not eating enough calories in general. Now, 
basically the recommendations, you know, I usually stick with are 20 to 40 grams um, per meal about, you know, 10 to 20 per snack, which I know is a big, big range, right? But again, it's individualized. And we do know that, you know, there is uh, a thought that we really can't utilize more than 40 grams of protein at a time, right? So that's a, a general thought. Um, the other thing with protein that's really interesting is I think it's put on a pedestal because we eat it and then we do not feel hungry anymore. I mean, that's wonderful, right? It, it, it creates satiety and we like that, especially when we're athletes and we're busy. I'm hungry. I want to eat and move on with the next thing so I can actually go out for my run later today, right? Um, but if we eat too much of it and we are so satiated, right? we run the risk of ignoring all those other wonderful things we need, like our fruits and our vegetables that give us our, our antioxidants and help with inflammation, all the carbohydrates, those good fats that are going to help us with, you know, with our hormones and that sort of thing. And then last but not least, as I said before, you know, I have the general athlete who comes to me, comes to me thinking that they're generally healthy. And most of the time they are, but what if they're not too much protein can have a negative effect on your, on your renal function. Um, so again, it's, it's, that's something that you really look at individual and individually. Thanks, Amy. I think uh, just to underscore, that's something I often repeat to our runners and I Julie does too, is that you have always told us the number one deficiency you see in runners coming to you is under fueling, just a general yes. under fueling. So like you said, that could then translate to not enough protein and not, but, but it's just a general under fueling. We all think we're eating a lot and we're getting in, but we're active and we have a lot of, our body has a lot of needs and um, you and the other dietitians we've always spoken to over the years, always say the same thing is that the number one thing they see with runners is their under fueling. So when runners tell us like, what, what can I do to tweak this? And we send them, you know, we send them your way. We say, you know, she's going to look to see you know, if you're fueling enough, like start with looking at your, you know, are you fueling enough? So I think that's kind of just a general thing that I wanted to pull out that, um, that is, is really important. And to add to that, Lisa, fueling enough where often it's not that people may say, well, I eat a ton. Maybe you're eating enough calories, but the calories are more out of a bag or a box um, highly processed junk food because you're in a hurry. And so that too is what you mean by not eating enough, because if the fuel isn't helping your running, then that fuel isn't really, doesn't really count. We're not saying that junk foods off limits. We all need to enjoy and eat in moderation. The things that we absolutely enjoy that ne don't necessarily fuel any of our running specifically, but if that is to the detriment of getting other fuel that actually does allow us to perform better, then that's what we also mean by fueling enough. Yes, absolutely. So switching gears, um, we want to also talk to you a little bit about salt. Uh, Dr. Sims, who is an expert in hydration. And as uh, we mentioned, she, she wrote her doctoral thesis on hydration. She mentioned that salt tabs are absolutely not something that women, um, need because we get enough salt, um, as it is wanted to see what you found in your practice of many years of recommending salt and electrolyte supplements and what your recommendations are based on your experience. And if it is at all different than what she mentioned on our podcast. So I, I wasn't able to look back at her research. I wanted to do that. Um, so I wasn't able to pinpoint specifically. Um, 
I will say that her statement coincides with um, some of the research about the general American public and that um, the general American public eats too much sodium, like they're above the 2000 milligrams of sodium. Um, I do not see that as much in my um, practice. I mean, and, and think just kind of putting that in perspective, I work with eating disorder patients um, and um, and uh, athletes, right. Who are, are very intentional about every morsel that they put in their mouth. Right. Um, so it, it's, it's rare where I see that the sodium is, is really, the intake is very high with my patients. Um, when I worked in the hospital, it was, you know, the people that I worked with, they usually did have a high sodium intake. Um, I, and you guys both know this, I don't necessarily recommend just salt tabs specifically for any of my patients, unless they are working with me for hyponatremia, which I do have patients who work with me for hyponatremia or um, something called POTS disease, um, uh, which stands for postural orthostatic tachycardic syndrome. We could do a whole nother podcast on that. Um, but I do focus on electrolyte drinks, right? Um, and I've really kind of worked with you both and kind of collaborated with that because of your, your experience with both of you, um, with your years of running and sweating and kind of what it's done for your population. Um, I usually focus on electrolyte drinks that have the combination of the calcium, the magnesium, the potassium, and the sodium. Now, this is an interesting thing. I focus on those things, but there's not much research that substantiates, yeah, you need magnesium and calcium um, you know, and, and potassium along with the sodium. But I come from the standpoint that people are not eating enough, right? And with not eating enough, there's a lot of people right now who, you know, I have this problem. I'm going to search on the web. I want to have a solution. I'm going to remove wheat, gluten, dairy, right? And when you remove wheat, gluten, and dairy, you're naturally removing your magnesium. You're naturally removing your calcium. So I kind of focus on that electrolyte because I already know that they're hypochloric and those types of things. And, you know, I'm you, most of the time with, I would say 90% of my patients or more, I am checking the labs and I'm seeing that there's a deficiency in some of those things. So that's kind of why I kind of gravitate to those things. And I mean, simply said, um, most of my people who start to work with this feel better and they perform better and they recover better. So the proof is kind of in the pudding with that. And some may come back and say, well, it's a placebo effect. And I say, so what if it's a placebo effect and they feel more secure where they're running and they have a better race, I'm all for it. Right. Cause it's not hurting them. And that's just kind of my thought process. Yeah. And Amy, I, I think that's really important that you touched on there are more, um, electrolytes than just sodium people focus yep. on the salt tab, salt tab, salt tabs, but something like salt stick has all of the, all yes. of the, um, all of the electrolytes in it. And, um, you know, so a balance of all the electrolytes, is there a particular, um, product or type or, or, or type of, you know, electrolyte replacement that you recommend for, for example, for racing in hot weather, when people are especially heavy sweaters and they know they're sweating out a lot, is there something specific that you recommend Is salt stick good? Is there something else? I mean, noon, I know you have to mix with something and carry it with you. So is something absorbed better than something else? What, is there something that you recommend? That's a good question. I do like the salt, the salt six, uh, or the salt tabs that you're talking about. Um, I, I have no relationship with this, um, company, but I, I love scratch. I know I am like, I, I love scratch. 
um, S-K-R-A-T-C-H. And I like it because they have a third party who does a lot of their research and their R&D, but they also have multiple products, right? So I'm able to do something like work with my clients and do like a sweat test, for example, to see like how much sweat are you actually um, like losing, right? And how much, what do we need to replete that? And then I know um, based off of that, what product to use? Is it the general? Is it the, um, you know, emergency? Is it um, this, that, or the other? Um, you know, people use liquid IV, which has like a, uh, a couple different electrolytes. And, you know, if it works for them, I think that's fine. But for some reason, I, I just cannot get off this scratch train. I just really like it. And even for like those patients that I was telling you about that I do work with, with hyponatremia, I actually use scratch, believe it or not, even, and for my POTS folks to help them get their sodium levels um, at the end of the day. Um, it's not really pungent. It doesn't taste that bad. Um, it's like really easy to kind of put together. My son uses that for cycling and all of his cyclists, oh, friends. So they, they are big scratch. And, um, I think it's a little bit easier for cyclists to use it because they put it in the water bottle on their bike. For I agree. Runners, we've got to carry a, a bottle with us. Yes. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think that, um, but the, yes, we're a, we're a big scratch family here. So I'm glad to hear that. And Lisa, to your point though, one of the things, one of my takeaways from our conversation with Dr. Sims was practice carrying your own water bottle, because in order yeah. to get the hydration, uh, specifically to what you need, you're likely not going to find that on a course. So if you can practice with it and wrap your head around carrying a water bottle, maybe that's one of the relatively minor changes one can make as they enter this phase of life and they want to continue racing is, is having control over your hydration during the race and not relying on, uh, as much on the diluted electrolytes or, or worse, no electrolytes on the course. So that's just food for thought. Um, no pun intended, but switching gears a little bit, you had mentioned earlier, Amy, Amy, that, you want to just, Amy wanted to say something. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Amy. Sorry. <laughs> I just want to add to that. You both really helped me with that. When you were helping me train for my half marathons, I am a, I mean, anybody who's ever seen me work out, I am a nasty sweater. I mean, I look in the mirror and I'm like, holy moly, I do not look good. What happened to me? Um, and uh, so I immediately went out and I got a belt and I hated every second of it. Right. So I was like, this is like a pain in the neck. Like the, you know, I, I had got a couple belts. I learned how to carry water. And then I remember that I was talking with you both. And I think it was before the, maybe the rock and roll marathon. I mean, this is years ago, rock and roll half marathon. And, you know, they stated everything that they were going to have at every single rest stop. And so I knew which one would have Gator back in there was Gatorade, which ones would have Gatorade, which ones would have water. And that was, a, that was part of my race plan. So not only did I do the pre-fuel, but I was like, no matter what mile three, I'm drinking the Gatorade here, mile six, I'm drinking the water. Um, because I knew, and I did goose or then I knew the goose that I had, had some of the electrolytes in it. So when I'm taking my goo, I'm going to have the water and, 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 you know, so to your point, yes, like it's a pain in the neck, but getting used to like what you need is part of, it's part of the equation. So I just wanted to piggyback on that. Yeah, absolutely. And so switching gears a little bit, you had mentioned earlier about underfueling, and we'd be remiss if we didn't talk to you a little bit about red S and how yes. it is, how it's um, shown in, in women who are in this phase of life, because one of the, of course, major, uh, signs of red S is not getting a period. And mm -hmm. if you're not getting a period, how do you know as a practitioner, whether a patient 
may be someone who is in that position? What are the signs that someone should look for that perhaps they are in that dangerous um, arena of red S? And can you explain for those who may not know what that is? Yes, I'm so glad that you bring this up. I'm I'm really, really passionate about Red S. Um, I've been really, really lucky in the last couple of weeks. I've been kind of making my way around the circuits of the high schools. And this is a very, very important thing to talk to people about. And I actually also was able to meet with um, Pivot Physical Therapy. Um, and we talked a lot about Red S. So this is kind of, it's been known for a while, but it's, it's emerging more as people get more knowledge. And it is my number one referral, um, like, uh, that is increasing. So a couple of years ago, I started to get an increase in referrals for people for orthorexia. And now it's really that red S. So that stands for relative energy deficiency in sport. Um, and you're correct. Uh, one of the, um, one of the signs I would say would be loss of menstrual function. Um, but again, it's really important to work with people who really truly understand red S because I usually, I come from the thought that when you're in the, the space where you have, you know, had multiple stress fractures or you have, um, you know, negative bone health or a period you've already, you're already far into this, Right. So there's many, many things that you can screen for and you assess before you get to this phase. So a couple of things that, um, and we do, we screen for this with all of our athletes um, is, you know, do you easily get dehydrated? Um, do you have GI changes? Have you had significant GI changes? Um, you know, all of a sudden, are you getting constipated? Um, are you having diarrhea? Um, do you have, <clears throat> excuse me, do you have cold intolerance? Um, so, you know, do you feel cold when that air conditioning first goes on and is it hard for your temperature to regulate self-regulate itself? Um, you know, do you have stress fractures or have you had multiple stress fractures or injuries? Do you, um, suffer from muscle cramps or 10 to 15 minutes into a, a run? Do you feel at so weak? You can't even, you know, perform, right? Like you feel like you have those concrete legs. Um, do you have new dental problems? Um, all of a sudden an increased urine output, difficulty focusing, or are you completely preoccupied with your weight or what your, or every single morsel that you're putting in your mouth, right? And so these are signs and symptoms that can lead us to think, okay, there's, there's an imbalance occurring, right? I have an athlete who wants to perform and at the same time, they are completely focused on, um, the morsels that they're putting in their mouth, they're not putting enough and they're having dehydration, GI issues, that sort of thing. Um, you can also do some diagnostic testing, such as like a DEXA scan. You can do an EKG um, and, you know, um, and, and all those sorts of things. But the treatment for red S, unfortunately, is, I mean, we have a theme here, is nutrition, hydration, and sleep, right? So it's really focusing on making sure that we're getting that nourishment that we need. Um, almost every anorexic patient that comes to me uh, with red S, they haven't had their period for months or years, but usually we look into that and we can see that there were signs and symptoms well before they had the loss of period. This is a problem because a lot of women who um, suddenly find shifts in their body composition, yes. the first thing they're going to do, especially athletes who are 
you know, trying to do type A is cut calories or not even necessarily consciously cut calories, but say, I'm going to cut out all of, you know, any morsel of extra sugar, no sugar, no sugar, sugar. sugar. yes. And then that ultimately and unintentionally can lead to red S when really that person thinks that they're doing a good thing by trying to resolve the shifts in body composition. So how does one prevent going down that path and what can they do when they see shifts in body composition to prevent that? And I know we talked so much with Stacy about this too, with Dr. Sims, but what, what recommendations do you have? You know, that that's such a, it's such a big question, right? And I feel, I don't feel like it's talked about enough. Um, you know, the unpopular opinion is your body's going to change. I mean, your body is going to change. And, you know, the unfair thing about it is women are viewed in an unfair light, right? So I'm going to sound like a feminist right now, uh, but I'm, you know, we have so many changes that we go through, right? You know, especially like if we decide to have children and if we carry a baby, I mean, we constantly have these hormonal shifts Then we go through perimenopause then we go through menopause, our bodies are going to change. I think that, um, and again, this is, this is going to sound kind of strange. I think the first thing that we have to do is kind of have like a radical acceptance that my body is not going to look the same as it did when I, when I got married. Right. It's not right. And I think like with that radical acceptance, we have to have gratitude, right? Look at what my body did. You know, I, I often say this and I'm getting goosebumps as I say it. But I grew two humans in my body. And for those who are listening to this, who, you know, didn't have d- decided not to do that or couldn't do that, it doesn't make you any less, right? Because you probably endured um, things such as fertility treatments and, you know, loss and all those sorts of things that are, that are you know, just as important and, and pervasive. But I think that we have to stay away from saying my body composition changed Therefore, I am not worthy or my performance performance sucks or I am not pretty or I'm not strong. And we have to say, damn it. Okay, why is my body changing? And what can I do to to help my body be um, the best that it can be? Right. And so, you know, it sucks. I have I've shared this with um, you, Julie, like I always have had the flattest stomach. I mean, for me, you know, I'm short and stout. I was a sprinter and a soccer player. I got quads and I got a butt. Right. And I've always, you know, I've always had that and I've accepted it. I had the flattest stomach. I am in perimenopause and that has changed. Right. I kind of like look at it as my energy pouch right now. Right. And I mean, it sounds funny. I, I still wear a bikini because I don't care right? There's some days that I don't wear a bikini. I have kind of moved more towards what is happening with my body. It will change again. How can I fuel it so that I can be the healthiest I can be, right? Wanting to change your body and promoting restriction is only going to affect your body negatively from a mental health perspective, right? You take away those, that, that nourishment. Now you have more anxiety. Now maybe you feel more depressed. Now, maybe you feel isolated because you can't go out with your friends to have that Starbucks and that croissant. I mean, which you're allowed to have every once in a while. So I could talk about this forever, um, but I think it's radical acceptance, giving yourself grace, 
knowing your body is going to change again and fueling it to be your healthiest self mentally and, why, and physically. Sorry. This is why we love you so much, Amy. We could, you know, amen. We're both you know, <laughs> saying that that is so important. And as coaches, that's kind of what we try to reinforce with our runners is that their, their strength, their performance, their, their, what they're accomplishing is yeah. so much more important than what their bodies look like. And we can't do that if we don't fuel ourselves well, if we're restricting, if we're, and, and, you know, you went through all of the things that we're going to, that are going to happen when we're, when we're restricting, but food, but part of it is irritability and yes. not being a happy person. And, and yes. you know, at the end of the day, we want to be happy. We want to feel strong. And um, I think that's so important. And I think more, you know, I think there's more awareness now and there's more, um, you know, more people taking ownership of like, like you said, this is what's happening. This is, you know, there's nothing wrong with this. Like, how do I stay strong? How do I keep my performance up? Um, I think that's, that's really important. Um, and that's sort of the message, like I said, that we try to, to get to get to our runners. And that's why we love working with you because you're, you know, in full, a full alignment with us. So, um, you know, we've taken a lot of your time today and we really, we, like you said, we could branch off in a million different directions and talk <laughs> about so many different things and we will have you back and we, we will do that. <laughs> Um, but, you know, to kind of close it out, um, there is so much information out there and we as coaches like to send our runners to somebody like you to really um, look at an individual, do a deep dive individually and help them. But um, before people come to you, what can they um, do to, to sort through all of the information out there, all of the marketing, all of the social media? There are products that are targeted towards women um, in general and women who are in going through menopause specifically because they're in this kind of some states sometimes desperate state of like, give me something as a magic pill. How do we sort through all of that and kind of get through the noise? That is the million dollar question, isn't it? But, you know, I always say we live in a world where people will die for the freedom of free speech. And yet there's no regulation of the said free speech, right? So then that's where it gets complicated. Plus we have an emotion that's a tie with this. Like we feel badly, right? We feel badly. So we want to change things. So I usually say, you know, only take um, general statement information um, and just as that. This is general information. It is a starting point. Um, I have this specific thing that is different than that, right? So I'm going to explore it. So don't kind of take that information in and say, tomorrow I'm going to do this 100% black and white, right? Understand there's trial and error, error to it. Um, and only take general information if you are generally healthy and have no uh, comorbid issues, right? Um, check and see where people are getting their evidence from. Um, you know, is it their own experience? That's great. I'll validate that experience is definitely worthy. Um, but what research was done? And, you know, what training does this particular person have? How long have they been in business? How many people have they worked with? Um, and if there's research that occurred, you know, co-occurred with, with um, the information, how was the research funded, right? What was the sample size? And uh, who was the research completed on? I mean, you know, humans aren't rats. And I'm not saying that to discredit research because, you know, we do have lots of great, um, like, hypotheses and conclusions that come from that research. But you know, I am not going to take research from elite lacrosse players and um, put that in practice for my marathon runners. It's just a different sport, right? Um, and then also, and this is going to be an unpopular opinion, and it's my last one, but our, 
it's somebody selling something with that, right? Like I had an account that I worked with years ago and they said, you know, you need to start selling supplements so that you have, you know, a continuous um, cash flow. And I said, if I don't have a continuous cash flow in my business, I'm a terrible practitioner. You know, my people should be able to come to me. They should be able to feel safe. They should be able to listen, you know, be able to put things in practice and feel better. And by doing that, then, you know, I get more phone calls. I don't need to sell anything. I don't need to um, stand behind it. Um, so that's kind of my, my advice to weed through all that stuff. That's awesome advice. And uh, for those who may not know, can you share what you do for the state of Maryland? So I, I, I was a consumer protection coordinator. So I actually, um, I left that post, I think after two and a half years, um, just because um, eating disorders have increased 300%. So I really needed to take the time to see, um, I wanted to help more patients, but for quite a while, I was a, the consumer protection coordinator for the state of Maryland. Um, and what that meant was, um, I would make sure that people that were providing uh, medical nutrition therapy advice had the license to do so. Um, and if not, uh, they would be investigated. And that also includes people that aren't dietitians as well. So, you know, there's other, uh, practitioners that kind of take that on that, that aren't licensed to do so. Um, and really it's not to, um, take a career away from somebody. I really did that because I have a passion to, um, help people be smart consumers. That's great. Thank you, Amy. We've always appreciated your, um, you know, your science-based evidence-based approach and, um, you know, your educational background, your experience over the years with thousands of, of, of your clients. And like you said, you know, when you're a practitioner and you're seeing it in practice, that's, and we kind of started this with, you know, talking about the special, the uh, special certifications that that's great to get them, but what really, and we know this as coaches that it, you know, of course we get the coaching certification, but what really makes, we think makes us good coaches is years and years of experience and working with runners. And that's, what's really important. And that's what you've done over the years. And as we've said many times during this podcast, like our collaborations are, are so key to our success as coaches. And we know we turn to you often with our questions and our clients that have, um, have worked with you have, have really benefited from that deep dive into their individualized and their specific issues. So um, we really appreciate everything that you've done and we appreciate you coming on today and kind of, you know, giving us your, your viewpoint and your experience as a practitioner with all of these questions that are coming up um, in general for us, but also specifically after our podcast from a couple of weeks ago, you know, whenever we kind of have confusion and a lot of information, it's always helpful um, to hear your, your, your advice. So thank you so much. Thanks for all of your time. And uh, we're looking forward to getting to see you in person sometime soon. Yes. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Amy. Great to see you. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope that all of you were able to find some nuggets that you can integrate into your life. Speaking of which, if you like the Don't Be Foodish podcast, please do not hesitate to like this and share it. When you do that, it helps others find us. 
We appreciate you and we look so forward to talking with you again in October.